Hi everyone, Data Stories number 41. I'm Moritz. How are you? Hey Enrico, how's life? It's great. Beautiful yeah. day today. Very good. <laughs> good good for you. I'm a bit stressed out. It's uh, it's a busy time. Oh, I didn't yeah. say that I'm not stressed out. I just ah, okay. said that it's a beautiful day. <laughs> <it's good> <laughs> Other people seem to enjoy life. Yeah. Who's not stressed yeah. out at the end of September? Yeah, it's always the worst. Yeah. We should start yes. having vacation at the end of September, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Next year. Next year. Yeah. Uh, but we'll meet soon. I'm preparing for Paris already. So. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah we'll so let's soon. say that. And, and I will be coming to New York in December, I think. Wow. Yeah. So I have a follow-up project with Lev and his team, and we will show something at New York Public Library, and the opening is in December. So we should organize oh. some data stories parties everywhere. Like a meetup or something, we could do maybe that. Maybe yeah. some. Maybe we should <laughs> yeah. organize something at this. Or a so. dinner in a nice restaurant <laughs> <laughs> for like fifty yeah. people. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, if mid, you guys mid, are listening mid, to that and you are going to this, yeah. <laughs> let us know, and uh, we can maybe organize something, at least a beer or whatever, right? Whiskey. So you know this as this kind of it's called uh, me- this kind of meetings they are called uh, birds of a feather. Okay. You can organize that on the fly. Maybe we can mm-hmm. do one of that. That would be we cool. Should. We definitely are two birds of a feather, so I think we qualify. Yeah. <laughs> um so we have a special guest as usual today. Uh Lisa Strasfeld from Bloomberg. Hi Lisa, how are you? Good, thanks. Nice to be here. How are you? Uh, we are great. Yeah, we are so Elisa. happy to have you here. <laughs> um, so I don't know how much of an introduction you need because probably most of our listeners already know you. Uh, but we normally ask our guests to introduce our uh, themselves. So do you want to tell us a little bit uh, who you are, what's your background, what you are doing at Bloomberg? Sure. Uh, I'm Lisa Strasfeld, <laughs> as you know, <laughs> um, and uh, right now I am, uh, I, I like to call myself a data visualization entrepreneur. I'm a designer, um, I have a technology background. Right now, my title, if I were to use one, is, uh, is um, creative director at Bloomberg View, and I moved to View in June. Um, I, I founded and created the uh, Bloomberg Visual Data Team, which is still running strong in the new media group at Bloomberg. So that's that's what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Right, and and how how did it all start? Like we like to ask our guests, like where they come from, how they get started in the whole um, in the whole computer and data with thing. So so what was the beginning for you? Did you own a, a personal computer? Did I own a personal computer? <laughs> yeah, like in the 80s, in 70s, the 80s, um, the C64, some Atari, Commodore. Atari, yeah. Uh, no, actually, I didn't grow up with a computer. Um, I, I, I have a big birthday coming up, which I won't mention. Um, <laughs> and is the, um, is the sound okay? By the way, are you guys? Yeah, yes, okay, perfect. It is okay. Um, so yeah, I. I I feel like, well, actually, I, I am officially the last year of the baby boomer generation. So mm-hmm. you can figure that out. Um, and I'm totally Wikipedia does. <laughs> and it's interesting, <laughs> it's interesting what that means relative to, you know, computing culture and digital culture. Mm-hmm. Because my mm-hmm. generation is, um, you know, on that, on that line, basically. Um, so, yeah, I started uh, in college getting into right. Computing, and and what did you study? I studied um, I studied art history from a from the age mm-hmm. of five. Oh, I wow. <laughs> um, had planned to be an architect, mm-hmm. and my my mother was an urban planner, and kind of always wanted to be an architect. And I was, you know, good at art and math, and uh, um, so I had planned to be an architect. And then, and then I went to. Um, I went to Brown and I studied art history and discovered computer science kind of accidentally. 
Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> did and you switched over or did you finish both in parallel? Or? No, I mean, Brown has oh, a really God. loose curriculum. I, I majored in art mm -hmm. history mm -hmm. and you could say I had a minor in computer science, but really I mm -hmm. had one, I was very goal oriented with computer science, which is that I wanted mm -hmm. to take this um, computer graphics class with mm -hmm. Andy Van Dam. Um, and it was a graduate level class and I took just the, I think it was like five courses I needed to get to that class. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just to be able to, to do it like from a, from a skills level or was it? A yeah, I was just, I mean, I, I, um, I, I took the, this intro class for non-majors and, um, mm -hmm. Pascal and just got really into it and then was a TA for the class and took, um, a bunch of other courses. I mean, I just loved it. And I loved the, um, Brown at that time built this lab called Gould Lab with these workstations. It was a really cool space. And I would spend, I loved that kind of studio environment. It was kind of like going to architecture school, which I did after mm -hmm. Brown. And, you know, I worked late into the night with my classmates and, um, and did a lot of 3D computing kind of early on. I mean, we were, it was the days of, um, you know, writing ray tracing algorithms. And mm -hmm. I wrote like a shadow algorithm. You know? <laughs> wow. um, anyway, it was, it was great fun. And, um, and also because I was focused on architecture, I was already thinking three-dimensionally. And mm -hmm. I think, uh, yeah, there, there, something really came together about that. And then, you know, of course I was studying art history at the same time. So it was all very. It's an amazing um, combination. It, yeah, yeah, it was an amazing combination. Yeah, yeah. And how was it like to program graphics at that time? Like, was it very tedious, lots of numbers? Did you have to memorize a lot or how? Yeah. Was it very low level probably? Like no, lots of... It was, um, or... it was, it was GL. It was not open mm -hmm. yet. Um, oh, no, wait, no, sorry. It wasn't GL. I'm getting confused. When I was at the Media Lab. Oh, no, no. When I was at the Media Lab, sorry, we were programming an open GL. But when I was at the lab... I'm sorry, when I was at Brown, it was like the first version of GL. I mean, it was pretty wow. low level in that there were, mm -hmm. you know, matrices to push and pop. Um, but, um, <laughs> um, and it was, you know, there was, we were programming in C. It wasn't even mm -hmm. ANSI C at the time. It was just C. Um, yeah. But it was, it was very, it seemed very natural to me somehow from, mm -hmm. from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, wow. that's really interesting because one of the questions that we get most often is whether in order to become a visualization expert, you need to code, right? Mm -hmm. Or be able to code. And uh, I think my answer, and I think Moritz says the same all the time, is that, yes, well, of course you can get away without coding, but if you code, it's so much better, right? So I'm curious yeah. to hear what's your opinion there. Well, my, it's interesting. This is a very good question right now. Um, Two things to say about that. First, I think that in order to be a 21st century educated citizen, I think everyone needs to take one programming class, and <laughs> that which seems important even if you don't do anything with it um, afterwards, and you go into you know business or retail or mm. whatever you're going to do. It just seems like a core part of a liberal arts education these days. Um, just understand how the world works and how, you know, machines talk to each other and what the protocol, to understand the idea mm -hmm. of a protocol. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it's kind of essential. Um, I actually, you know, I, I was coding in college and then I went to architecture school and I did my, my, I didn't really touch a computer for years until, um, right before I went to the media lab mm -hmm. at MIT. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I was programming until about, I, I guess until I started at Pentagram, um, which was in two, until I, basically until about 2000, 2001. Anyway, here we are um, 13 years later and I have this crazy idea and need that I have to start programming again. And I haven't done any, <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I haven't really done any web development per se. Um, I was a very, I was sort of used to a very proper 
programming environment with a debugger mm-hmm. and with you know and and when I fir- like JavaScript was so offensive to me when I first started <laughs> looking at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But now I feel like I, I again it's kind of crazy at this moment in my career, but I really am seriously thinking about getting back into it. It has much improved. Like yes, I, I yeah. mean I was also I, you know I was always a Flash guy, so I, I know what you mean with like it's nice to have like a coherent environment and a, and a runtime. <laughs> and no, really, it's yeah, it's debu- really something debugger. you have a sandbox you can work against, right? Yeah, and the web used to be such a mess, but. Now, the last two or three years, amazing, like new tools and technologies have really appeared and everything has become much, much more, I don't know, much more workable. So what, what is your tool of choice right now? What are you coding in? Yeah, I mean, the, the web-based stuff is mostly SVG graphics with D3. Mm-hmm. But I coded, for instance, in, in CoffeeScript instead of JavaScript, which is much more a sane way of programming, huh. much nicer, much clo- much uh, closer to Python in the end. Mm-hmm. And then you don't use CSS anymore, but SAS, which is also like a reduced version of that. <laughs> and you compile that to CSS and, and the Chrome browser gives you really nice debugging tools and you can really like, set breakpoints and things like that. So all of that has changed. So... Yeah. I, I agree. It's a great time to to start that now. Yeah. Again, it, it seems kind of yeah. crazy, and this this might be a theme that comes up in our conversation. I could, I'll even just put it out there. But um, I know we were going to talk about data visualization, but um, just the idea of scale. I think about scale a lot. I think scale is kind of key to innovation. It also happens to be key to what I'm interested in, and I find that I go through these points in my career where I want to sort of scale it up, which means mm-hmm. a lot of collaboration, you know, building a team, um, being part of a big organization like Bloomberg that has a lot of data and a broad reach. And then it gets to a point where I just feel <laughs> like I need to get back to mm. some kind of hands-on making experience. Making but it kind of goes in these I, I, waves. Um, and I, I share exactly the same kind of experience yeah. because mm. even I being, can relate I mean, to that. I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I am a, a, a professor in the Department of Computer Science and Engineering, and I can tell you I don't have much time for do any coding myself. Mm-hmm. And of course, I have to think about. So when I, I, yeah, I mean, the idea of scale is really important because I myself think about if I want to do these five projects at the same time, I need to have people. Who help me doing that, right? I just cannot afford doing it myself. But I, this also means that I end up doing no coding at all. And sometimes yeah. I have exactly the same feeling. Mm. I would like to go back to just being me and my computer and, uh, I don't know, enjoy the, the, <laughs> this kind of feeling that you have when you change a couple of lines of code and you see something changing on your screen. And, it, and it's you. You've done it with your hands. Yeah. And it's fantastic, <laughs> right? Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love this kind of feeling and I, and I miss it a lot. Yeah, it's a big it, it's a big issue, um, and you have to think about the greatest sort of innovations in our you know in our I was going to say in our lifetime, but just in our culture. Um, you know, so many of them have come from a sort of well, minimally you know a small team, sometimes just a single individual, even um, initially, and then they have to mm-hmm. yeah. have to scale. And I think, I think it's like, I really do admire the people who, um, you know, like Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg, who can also, and Bill Gates, who can, you know, sort of scale with an organization and take that on Mm -hmm. and actually maintain the interest, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. as, as it gets, you know, in those sort of mass proportions, that's hugely admirable. And I think, um, difficult, like I, I, um, Anyway, I, I, Moritz, you're, you're also one of the, you're a good case study of someone. I mean, it's amazing what you can do on your own and how yeah, much you can build own, yeah. on your own. Um, yeah, I do work with people too. But I, yeah, I sort of always feared that step of going, yeah, beyond the three, four people teams, you know, towards the seven, eight, nine, ten, when suddenly, then you need to manage. And and right now, my, at the point, I have like 10 projects running and, you know, half of them I'm somehow creatively involved and the other half I'm mostly managing or consulting. Oh, really? <laughs> and yeah. And so, yeah, and I have a few like long-term clients, you know, who I mostly consult and huh. where 
put together teams and other clients, I, I do the project myself really. And mm -hmm. I, I constantly have to work with this balance, like how much, how much do I do myself? How much do I delegate? In which part of the process do I want to be? It's, it's never right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. It's always something to complain. Yes. Yeah. That, that's yeah, but it's, I, I absolutely agree. And also for doing good data was, I think in the end, sometimes you have to like, play with data yourself and build something yes. out of it and right it's like just to to stay grounded and yeah yeah i i, I agree yeah can we rewind because i Please. just want to finish briefly <laughs> your your sort of your mm -hmm. whole development i think it's so interesting so so you have we have art history and computer science and you said you studied architecture mm -hmm. as well yeah and then you went to mit media lab <laughs> yes, for yeah. a few yeah, years yeah, yeah. a lot <laughs> so, of, lot of uh... Education. In the 90s? Mm -hmm. uh, when is that, roughly? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, so I went to architecture school at Harvard. I finished in 91, big recession time. Mm -hmm. um, and then I moved. And I, again, I had always planned to be an architect. I moved to, and I, I loved school. I moved to Austin, Texas uh -huh. um, right after. Uh, and did you ever build a house? It's funny. I, I, um, that's what I like to ask architects. No, <laughs> I, um, my favorite question for architects. I've designed a couple, um, and, uh, um, no, I didn't. And I worked, I worked all through college for architects, you know, in summer during my summers. And I, um, I worked for several years for architects. I moved to Austin. I worked for Charles Moore. Um, mm. and then, uh, I found out about this opportunity at Motorola. They were hiring architects to do layout design for memory chips. Oh, wow. Wow. And yeah. Um, <laughs> that's crazy. But that's pretty cool. I that's mean, so cool. that's a cool move from them as well, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. And uh, I like that. And it was a really hard decision because I, I knew if I took that job, I would be leaving architecture because you have to really pay your dues in the field of architecture. Right. Um, and, uh, I just have this memory. I was working in this architecture office and the most advanced piece of technology they had, this was in 1992, let's say, um, 1992, the most advanced piece of technology they had was an electric eraser. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> have you ever seen this? Um, and, uh, and then I joined Motorola and, and they, they set me down on this HP workstation and it was, you know, pre-web, but it was internet, you know, it was, I had, wow. I was on, you know, net news, um, all rec books or whatever, rec art books or whatever it was. <laughs> anyway, I was, I was on, um, news groups basically all day all, with people nice. all over the world. It was amazing. Mm. And it was also the first time cause I was really shy, um, always and less so now, but I, it was the first time in a job that I felt like I could, I didn't have to talk to anyone. <laughs> I could, um, right. yeah. because all of the documentation was online. When I, I remember when I started working in architecture, I would draw a line for a, you know, to represent a wall and plan for a wall section. And I couldn't draw another line until I went and asked an architect, you know, what, what does this mean? Is this a piece of sheetrock? Is this like, where's the stud? Where's the, anyway. So there were a lot of questions, but somehow when I, when I was at um, Motorola, I could do the job, which was basically taking um, logic specs from engineers and representing them as layers of, I forget what it was, you know, like layers of metal and layers of silicon, mm -hmm, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so we were drawing the circuitry. Anyway, all the documentation was online. And but you drew it so on liberating. a computer, right? We did. So that was CAD already and... Yes, no yes, it was, um, yeah. and it was the job, it was kind of a dead end job. Um, and it was, you know, I was wearing a badge. <laughs> it was like, it was, it was, um, it was, it was fascinating, but I knew that like, I, it, it was unsustainable for me, but, um, I, it was totally fascinating and the work was very repetitive and I discovered because I was, you know, going through the documentation when everything was online that, um, that I, I could, I started writing scripts to automate the layout. And at that time, mm -hmm. these were um, fast static RAMs. At that time, only the microprocessors were using automated, uh, automatic, automated layout systems. 
So I started writing scripts and I got back into programming again. And I loved it. And I, um, um, and then that's when I, you know, I, I started kind of coding on my own in the evenings and, um, and then I, then I found out about the media lab and I applied to the media lab and I started there in 93 at the visible language workshop. Wow. Who was leading the lab at the time? Um, Nicholas Negroponte was there oh, yeah. and, um, right. and my advisor was Muriel Cooper. And actually I, um, <laughs> I went back, I needed, you know, it'd been so many years, but I went back to Brown and got a recommendation from Andy Van Dam. And then I, um, Bill Mitchell, um, who passed away a few years ago, um, was the head of the architecture school at MIT. And he had been um, a professor of mine at Harvard. Anyway, so I found a way. They, they all said you should work with Muriel Cooper at the Visible Language mm -hmm. Workshop. Yes. And then I started there in 93. And it was free, which was important. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> but did you do a, was it like a PhD program or did, did you? I did a master. A I was masters? there for two years. A master's, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I would have stayed on, but Muriel Cooper passed away. Um, um, after a, about a year and a half of my time there. And she was amazing and, of course, mm -hmm. a huge mentor, influencer. Mm -hmm. And what did you work on uh, at the lab? So that, like, what were the products um, like? Yeah, it was amazing. The timing was kind of amazing. We um, Shortly after I arrived there, Silicon Graphics kind of dumped a shipment of workstations um, into the Visual Language Workshop, and including a reality engine. And um, so that was amazing. I, mean, I had never, I never had really thought about graphic design or information design. I mean, it was coming from architecture. Um, and in fact, my application was about um, writing design systems for architecture. I was really into Christopher mm -hmm. Alexander and um and so that that so was my proposal. automating or like simulating um kind of automating. Or, I can't or maybe yeah. I was interested in like yeah. it's been a long time. Like generating forms like Yeah, or some kind of like grammars of um Yeah, yeah, yeah. typologies. I maybe something about like architectural typology or I don't mm -hmm. know, something mm -hmm. related to architecture because the again rules of architecture something like this. Yeah. I really yeah. I, because I had planned to be an architect my entire life since childhood. I it really has taken years and years and years to let go. In fact, I have never really <laughs> let go, and I just I married an architect, and uh, oh, well. so yeah. um, that's your big recurring theme. I see. Yeah. So, but oh, then, <laughs> but then when I when I got there, um, I mean, Muriel Cooper was a graphic designer, amazing graphic designer. Um, are you guys familiar with her work at all? Or Uh, I am not. I heard the name, but I, I couldn't yeah. really pinpoint it. Yeah. She, um, she was. I guess she was in her 60s, you know, when I was there. But she had been the head designer for MIT Books for many years, and she designed that mm -hmm. great logo, okay. which is mm -hmm. incredible. Oh, the logo is awesome. The stripes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's very yeah. good. Yeah. Um, and um, and she. Yeah, she created this lab. There's also some really key people there, like Dave Small. Um, and, uh, and Ron O'Neill. Anyway, there, there, there were, it was, oh, and, um, Craig, it's funny because I overlapped with Craig Hanarek. Do you know him from Razorfish? Um, anyway, it, it was just, it was. Did, did uh, he found Razorfish or was Yeah, he, he was one of the founders yeah. and he was, um, we overlapped for a summer in this small group. There were only about mm -hmm. eight, eight students in the visual language workshop mm -hmm. at that time. And it was really focused on um, visual communication, which I, I, you know, that was my first exposure to that and in information design. And it was helpful that these 3D workstations came in because I felt like I, it was a, it was a good way for me to kind of enter this world of information design. Mm -hmm. And the first projects were indeed three-dimensional. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So you picked up... Uh On, on the things you, you learned in the 80s. And, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, sort of, yeah. And then, yeah, with, suddenly... With your architectural knowledge, of course, yeah. Yeah, so that, in fact, um, I remember the first project was to do, was to rethink 
the newspaper. Again, this is like mm-hmm. always, you know, still current. That was the first project. And I remember I did a, um, a model, like a 3D model, because that's how I mainly worked in architecture. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. what I brought in. Um, <laughs> you had this huge bulky newspaper. It was, it was like a plexiglass yeah. <laughs> model with like threaded. Yeah. Um, awesome. <laughs> uh, anyway. It but was, this whole, yeah. That's still happening, like rethinking the newspaper is still is. totally it's still, uh, going on. And yeah. in fact, it, it's, it's, um, it's yeah. kind of what I'm doing right now with Vue in so many ways. Right, yeah. right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's very comforting too that, you know, you always have that feeling everything's changing so fast, but then at some point you realize, hold on, like a few things we've been thinking about for 10 years. Yeah. And we can see some progress and some certain directions, but it's nowhere as fast as we thought, you know, back yeah, then. Yeah. yeah. Everything would be like revolutionized. And so I, th- I think that's good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's amazing. And then, uh, sorry, we have to speed up if yes, we please, want please. to have your whole career. Yes, We're yes, only yes, halfway yes. through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and then you went to Quokka, which I'm really interested mm. in because I only, you know, I read a few blog posts about it and I saw a few screenshots. Yeah. And I, well, actually, there was, uh, a, the- you know, yeah, uh, so tell us a bit about well, it. Well, before Quaka, there was, um, I started a company from the Media Lab with two classmates called Perspecta. And, ah, right. Yeah, and that... Um, I like the name. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and that was an amazing experience, and I still think about that. Basically, we were taking collections of news documents um, or any kind of digital documents that, and we were tagging them and we were building up these taxonomies basically Mm -hmm. um, from the documents themselves. And they were always changing. And I was writing the client code that that was Java. We were writing kind of beta Java code, you know, right on the heels of the Java developers. Um, And uh, we were creating these, these, you know, text spaces where you could sort of fly through mm-hmm. the um, the categories again, the sort of ever changing categories right. into subcategories and into the documents themselves. So you could throw a bunch of documents at the system, and it would try and order them in a, in a meaningful way. Is it- yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, it was you know ahead of its time. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, and we moved to San Francisco and started this company and got funding and. There's wow. a whole story there, um, yeah, and uh, with the little tragedy involved, but um, but anyway, it, and then it was sold to Excited Home. But I, I um, does Excite still exist? No, no. So, no, so that's why, I, like, I, yeah, still, still working. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, but then I joined one of our clients, which was Quaka. Um, and I joined, Michael Goff was my um, client and became, you know, my boss. And he's still at Adobe, really one of the most brilliant people I've ever worked with. Um, mm-hmm. Amazing thinker. So we started, um, so Quaka. So Quaka was started by these math, these Australian, this Australian mathematician who um, ran the boat basically for America's Cup when it won the mm-hmm. cup back, I guess. Um, Okay. For Australia, and we had all these data assets from sports, mo- you know, from motorsports, from um, sorry, vehicle sports like racing, motorsports, and um, America's Cup, mm-hmm. and started creating these race viewers. So I was running a little um, lab. We called it Quaka Labs, and I was working with um, still some of the most talented people working in data visualization today, including. Eric um, Rodenbeck from Stamen. Who founded Stamen. Yeah. Right. yeah. And Josh Ulm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know where Josh is right now. But um, anyway, it, it, and they're still... Um, and I saw amazing. some screenshots and the work is really super interesting. Like you did really interesting, like combined photos with overlaid information graphics, yeah. everything very like a postmodern remix of, of everything. And it looked... I think, yeah, especially you, you wouldn't guess it from like late 90s or something. Very interesting yeah, to, to look at. Yeah, it, it was you know? amazing. Again, there were, and, and Michael Goff, he hired a, a great group of people. And I think um, mm-hmm. we should have some kind of alumni network because they're, they're all doing really interesting things. I mean, yeah. like really some of the most talented <laughs> designers meet up every year. I've worked with. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. No, it's it's amazing. And uh, would you say that was was it more like focused on real time interfaces or yeah. like data journalism as, no, as we would was, call it today? Um, or it was real time, and we called them race mm -hmm. viewers. They were. Um, mm -hmm. So as America's Cup was running, mm -hmm. you could always see what's going on, and yeah, right. And yeah, um, cool. and Eric, yeah. I think, and Josh did one for the Tour de France, which was amazing. Um, mm -hmm. And my team was working on um, uh, something. We did something for Cart um, Motorsports. Mm -hmm. We wanted. We were trying to get Formula One always, but we never. Mm -hmm. We did a lot of prototypes for Formula One. Yeah, but it's a big licensing issue in sports always. Oh like. yeah. Who can do what? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and then there was um, the Olympics with NBC, um, and yeah, th those. I still think uh, th th that work and and those products that we created, I still think are, um, you know, some of the most innovative still. Are they preserved somewhere? Like I think so. Um, and then uh, what was it anyways? Director or how did you? They were um, yeah. They were mostly. Adobe products of some kind. They were right. um, mm -hmm. yeah. direct. And Macromedia at the time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Macromedia. Sorry. Yeah. Macromedia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which was right down the street, in fact, um, nice. from Quokka. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Michael Goff. Yeah. So then he went to Macromedia. And I think even the CEO um, of Quokka, Al Ramadan, went to Macromedia and then Adobe, if I'm not mistaken. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So everything can be traced back to Quokka. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely worth reading up on. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. Do some Googling on, on Quokka. It's worth it. Uh, and then you went to, to Pentagram. Yeah. Like so legendary I, design firm. I think you were in fact a partner. Yes. Or, yep, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I met, um, I, I was speaking about Quokka, about the work at Quokka at an AIGA conference And I sat next to Michael Beirut at a speaker dinner. And at that time, for personal reasons, I really wanted to come back to New York. I was living in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I sat next to Michael, and I was telling him about the things I wanted to do. I was really interested in doing uh, work in physical space that combined, um, you know, like with projection and large displays or Uh, and Michael had a, pro he got me involved in some projects at Pentagram. So I started, uh, I had a studio called Information Art and I started working with Pentagram and then I was asked to join as a partner mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I joined in January of 2002 and was there for a little over nine years, almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. So that's your longest, uh, mm -hmm. career station, yeah. actually, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And briefly, what, what types of things did you work on at Pentagram? Is it, yeah. Uh, I, I remember a lot of browsing interfaces, like if you had like collections of stuff, yeah. <laughs> you know, you would like make nice ways to, to, to browse. Well, it's interesting. Visual, I don't know. collections of things. That's, that's my, at least my <laughs> recollection. So this will be interesting. You have to tell me what you were doing at this time. But it, it seemed that for me, data visualization my awareness of it started at the media lab and I was very aware of, you know, the work, um, at Xerox park and, um, mm. uh, and kind of in the community, Kai. And, mm -hmm. um, and then, mm -hmm. and then when I was in San Francisco, you know, through Quokka, but then in 2000, um, from my recollection, most of the, the data visualization work really went, back into the lab. I mean, there was no kind of commercial work anymore, it seemed. I mean, it's sports data, even though I wasn't that into sports, but it was a great yeah. opportunity mm -hmm. to do kind of consumer-focused data visualization work. So I think it either went to kind of enterprise um, mm -hmm. or back into, you know, um, acad you know academic institutions. Yeah. But yeah. it was really hard to get any kind of client work to do data visualization in the early part of For a couple of the millennium. Years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I couldn't tell you because I was still a baby at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I also remember that 
I felt it really took off like public facing data visualization that is interesting, like with Stamen, the work mm -hmm. with DigLabs, uh, mm -hmm. We Feel Fine, and all these things that was 2003, four or five, mm -hmm. maybe. Mm -hmm. And that was already, and that was ahead of the curve at that time. Mm -hmm. So, right. Might be right that 2000 to 2005, it was more, yeah, what came out of arts academies, exactly. universities, mm -hmm. uh, artists. Yeah. And, um, and so on. And I, you know, I always had to, choose things based on, you know, what I was passionate about, what I wanted to do. But I also had this mm. need to, you know, have some kind of stability that kind of drove a lot of the decisions, some kind of sure, financial sure. stability. So um, anyway, I, I was also just, you know, fascinated and taken by Pentagram and I loved the work and the partners. I was kind of a, an aberration in a way I was, mm -hmm. um, but I, I, so I, I joined and I, um, One of the things I'm actually most proud of about my relationship with Pentagram, and I think that um, is that they, when I first started there, they people thought I was kind of the interactive department or the you know the digital partner, uh, and I I knew that would be bad strategically for Pentagram, mm. and it would be bad for my career too. So, um, so I you would have had to fix their. Printers. <laughs> exactly. So, so I really, um, I really helped. I think I really helped the culture there evolve to what it is today. And all the partners, mm -hmm. they already were doing identity work and you know signage and packaging and, and environments, exhibitions, and so digital just you know naturally evolved into that. I, at first, I was working collaborating with a lot of the partners doing the the, the digital work for their clients, which was again mm -hmm. most of. Pentagram's work is really identity focused um, for all kinds of institutions. And anyway, it was, it was, it was amazing. And there, it was um, a prolific time. Um, and I did like any and all kind of, you know, website. Um, I, I was doing some um, large dig digital display sort of prototypes and mockups kind of ironically, the only one that really, Well, that's not true. Um, one of the key ones that got built was um, the one at Bloomberg, <laughs> um, where I work now. Foreshadowing, sort of. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, they got it. <laughs> um, and then there yeah, were, you know, good. some yeah. big sort of museum installations. But then mm -hmm. I have to confess, I got really, this is a little side note, but um, I confess I got sort of really turned off by doing that kind of work. Um, mm. I don't know why, like it, Maybe for to commercial or to environmental. Um, I don't know. Like I, yeah. I just mm -hmm. felt um, bombarded visually by all of these, this, the proliferation of like large displays oh, and projections. Yeah. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, media facades. Oh, and I just another media facade. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I, I um, what a good idea. <laughs> I don't know. So I, exactly. Uh, But like. What would you say, like, from these nine years, what's the most, mm. like, what's the thing you took away from, yeah. from your time at Pentagram? Like, what, or, well, I, or was it just a different world and, and now you're, you're back into yeah. your actual home turf? I mean, I, um, it's funny. I've said this and I, th I think it still holds true that I, I feel like I, in some ways, went undercover <laughs> as a, um, you know, my, my, I think I've always been a kind of information and interaction designer. Both of those things are, are key, actually. I'm, I'm interested in both of them together and neither of them that much apart. <laughs> so um, I see I'm interested in, yeah, and in where sort of information and interaction come together. At Pentagram, I, I treated every project like that, even if it wasn't part of the creative brief. I kind of made it mm -hmm. part of the brief. And I also... Um, You really try to make everything interesting from like a website for a law firm to, um, to any, you know, any kind of small, I don't know, installation project or, I mean, it, it just, it, it was, um, and I had, I had three teams actually, it was sort of how things worked there. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a sort of natural cycle, you know, Pentagram hires really talented young designers um, sort of af right out of school effectively. And they typically stay for, you know, three to five years or so. Um, anyway, I had, the, had a really nice cycle, really proud of the work there. And 
uh, and it was all client driven. Um, but I, I, and I left eventually because I saw that data visualization, I mean, I was aware of, you know, your work, Moritz, and, um, and I was, and, and just in the field, I was aware that, okay, data visualization is back. I was kind of waiting mm-hmm. for that moment. I could see it happening. I could yeah, see. Yeah, you were just like 10 years ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah, it was too soon. to catch up, right? It's like, and I, again, uh, I, people. I really, um, I really feel like I, I did things like I, I felt like I perfected um, different website typologies like the catalog site i got down mm-hmm. you know and we you got that. <laughs> yeah. um like we made every we had you know many portfolio sites including the pentagram portfolio site and diller scofidia mm-hmm. a lot of architect portfolio sites and ennead and you know there was uh there was a kind of information architecture and a way of sorting and filtering and you know like still doing that work um but it was nice to just it was there was a lot of muscle flexing like let's you know, let's do it this way this time. And, um, and that was, that was amazing. But when, when I saw that in this da- you know, all this data was available, I was especially interested after Quaka in visualizing government activity as a spectator sport. Um, then I felt like I had, it, w- it was just time to jump, mm-hmm. which is what I did. And I left Pentagram, uh, and started major league politics. And in t- when, when was that? That was a few years ago. Um, and then just as I was working on that, I brought um, a designer and developer with me from Pentagram, um, Hilla Katke, who came with me also to Bloomberg. Just as I was starting that, Bloomberg came knocking um, about this opportunity to bring to to really focus on data visualization and um and and i'm um so i start i started major league politics i said well you know i'm just starting this company um and susan kish who i talked to at bloomberg who basically brought me in uh said well we'll be you know we're very interested in whatever you're doing with major league politics so i built up this kind of demo and prototype and I was really targeting Bloomberg because I, mm-hmm. for years, I mean, since I had worked on the displays, I, I felt like Bloomberg was kind of the gold mine of um, news and data. And, and I, you know, was seeking any opportunity to, to work with Bloomberg. I also really. Um, it's one of the data heaviest companies, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, and, um, and I also, you know, I have to say that just, you know, Bloomberg, the man, uh, you know, even though I'm a registered Democrat, I felt very, you know, aligned with, <laughs> um, um, with his, you know, ethics. And, and uh, um, so I was interested and I, we, we developed a demo and a prototype and we pitched it to Bloomberg and then we negotiated for a while. I, it turns out it wasn't, it, it wasn't really the right fit for Bloomberg government, which was a much different kind of product and it's much more consumer focused. Um, so I just put it aside and ended up joining Bloomberg. I felt like it was a great opportunity. I was also with major league politics. I was funding it personally, mm-hmm. which was a bit unsustainable. And, and part of why I moved to Portland just to keep my overhead down. Um, and, um, and I was, I wasn't sure I had the appetite to go out and get it funded. And suddenly, you know, Bloomberg and have a start was and there and I could like do, stuff. I could, yeah. you know, start, you know, create a startup basically inside Bloomberg mm-hmm. to do data visualization. Yeah. But that's what I did. And that's really how it worked in, you know, for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. So, that, that's so you build up a team from scratch basically, mm-hmm. right? So they just hired you to build up a... Yes. A team doing interesting things with data or what was the yeah. the basic proposition they they were after? It was like do interesting visual stuff? Yes, and it was it was focused on the consumer, meaning um mm-hmm. not for the uh the the core customer which you know who subscribes to the terminal. Yeah. Um it was really focused on the consumer for the media properties for you know bloomberg.com at that time. Mm-hmm. And Bloomberg View was just beginning as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So for, for me, it also opened up. Like I had a different view on Bloomberg afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like oh, like also with your work there, mm-hmm. because I never felt Bloomberg is relevant to me personally. Yeah. And then suddenly it became, you know, so yeah, cool. suddenly mm-hmm. it was something that seemed to address yeah. much more people suddenly or. Yeah, acted like a media media outlet, really, not a specialist yes. data supplier or something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I was, um, I was also um, exactly. Yeah. I was also very influenced by um, Bloomberg's acquisition of Business Week, um, mm-hmm. and you know the, um, which I thought really had an amazing redesign by Richard Turley, um, and great editorial. And you know, I, I was that that meant a lot to me as I joined. Mm-hmm. So we had a pretty open, um, an open slate and, and charter. And I established a strategy uh, and which, which really kind of initiated the group, which was about, um, mm-hmm. uh, this is where I sort of get into. Um, so I saw this division in data visualization. I've talked about this before, but um, between um, explanatory and exploratory data visualizations and explanatory mm-hmm. typically you know news driven um kind of small set snapshots of data infographics exploratory are you know software based uh you know usually based on you know live data feeds and you know explanatory the, the experience of the two is very different explanatory can be um you know, from a really engaging news headline to a story to something, you know, represent, you know, evidence of that mm-hmm. situation. Um, and the exploratory data visualizations might start that way, but then they're, they can be kind of overwhelming and often can be lacking in sort of editorial guideposts, if you will. Right. So, yeah. so the whole idea, and I loved that, you know, Bloomberg was really a news and data organization. And mm-hmm. so I, it's all about expertise as well. Yeah. Like, and I came yeah. with like the, really the desire to kind of answer this question, which I feel like we asked in a very um, significant way, <laughs> but didn't yet answer. And I feel like it's still an open question, mm-hmm. which is how do you marry these two things? And how, because again, and the whole point for me is that I think the best experience of data um, in this sort of news context is that you, you kind of get engaged. Um, there's a question you get either, you know, pissed off or provoked, or you, know, you can't believe something. And then you want to see evidence of it in the data. Uh, mm-hmm. and then you ask more questions and you want to explore and you want to pivot and you want to, um, yeah. uh, find out what's happening now. And so this is what we try to do. And the first team that was, that we set up was, Partly because it's all I knew, which was which was a design and development team, um, and I assumed that I, I would treat editorial as my client because I you know was very familiar with mm-hmm. client relationships. Um, I mean, uh, to be honest, I was sort of happy to get away from the client model, but um, <laughs> but as long as I was kind of initiating mm. the projects, um, so so we set up this sort of relationship as you know editorial as the client. And we started creating interactive data products. And that was the first team. And State by State was the first product, which was about economic health of the states. And I call it kind of the Swiss Army knife product. And and it sort of highlights what the problems are. I mean, what what was interesting about it is that it's it's a product that was designed to be headlined. So Mm -hmm. it has all these kind of, it has, has, you know, 20 data sets or so. And it's a crazy data visualization. <laughs> in the beginning, you see just 50 bars mm-hmm. and you think like, yeah, it's a bar chart. <laughs> and then you, you click it and you expand them and they fold up and they fold up even more. And it's like a, an endless sequence of unfolding data. <laughs> and so you, you can drill into any data point, basically. And it right? really, it worked yeah. best um, for mm-hmm. the 2012 presidential election, which was, we, we oh, launched okay. it um, a couple months before that election. And that election, it's interesting because the um, jobs report came out today, um, below 6%, was kind of amazing, um, mm-hmm. unemployment in the U.S. Um, so the, the last presidential election was all about the economy um, and unemployment, basically. And so mm-hmm. 
the the view that we launched with i mean you could launch with any but we launched with this view which was you know you unemployment us unemployment and polling data from real clear politics for swing states and those states those like you know eight states or so eight or 10 states in 2012 we're going to decide the election and what mm-hmm. was amazing about it and i would check this cuz the polling data was updating daily the unemployment data was updated twice a month mm-hmm. um once you know once a month for the us and once a month for all the states and what was amazing is you, i could i was checking that daily before the election and i saw i mean i i i thought oh my god obama is it really could it really happen sorry is that right um 2012 yeah um and um wait am i am i totally off on this on these dates no 2012 um Anyway, I saw I saw the data move. I saw the polling data move, you know, from red to blue basically, and you mm-hmm. could see that he was going to win the like. So, and that was just one view, and the idea was that um, you know, every quarter or so, I mean, you you can make any view you want, and any journalist can um create a view and headline it. Um, but it it didn't really work that way in the end. Um but that's how it was designed and then billionaires mm-hmm. followed but the idea was whenever there's an article about a specific aspect the the journalist should embed the right perspective or link to it <laughs> yeah. something like this yes, yes. Yeah, yeah 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 it's very nice yeah. um, so I'm, and- i'm curious to hear lisa for this kind of uh, very interactive visualizations published on the web i'm always curious to see uh, how much time people spend on them and how and yeah. how much in depth they explore. So did you ever try to look into that? Maybe looking in did you ever collect the logs of what they do and trying to understand uh, You mean the users or Yeah, the users, oh, yeah. sorry. Oh. Yeah. Um, um yes, I mean we we had traffic reports and um and we could see, you know, for billionaires too, we can see spikes. Billionaires actually has does integrate different views of the product with stories. Mm-hmm. And um, like if there's a story about, well, I mean, there are a lot of stories about um, the wealth of the Russian billionaires given what's going on in Russia. Um, and uh, so you can, you know, there can be a story and then you can, um, uh, then you can filter just for the Russian billionaires' fortunes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, th- mm-hmm. so that's, that's been used quite a bit. And actually the billionaires team does headline um they do create headlines for that tool <laughs> um and then now there's a mobile version that the team has built which is mm. pretty cool there's a, a billionaires team at, at bloomberg there's a billionaires editorial team yeah <laughs> yep. yeah yeah so it's an, a nice job um it's a, it's interesting it's um and i mean it's a serious investigative journalist journalistic mm-hmm. team um Because I mean, because these, the journalists, uh, the billionaires, they're not very, they're a bit secretive probably about their precise earnings. And, and it's, uh, and it's pretty important because these are the people who, you know, have the world's wealth. Sure. Um, and, right. uh, uh, and yeah, and a lot of them are pretty secretive. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And Interesting. So, and so this team took the tool you made and sort of developed it further or keeps filling it with content. So, so is that a good, is this uh, what you had in mind basically? Like, um, like this tight integration of, of tools with journalism, yeah. and like these living, living platforms. It's, type things? it's getting there. I, I always felt that I, um, I really wanted to get my hands on this site. And I mean that in the sort of, <laughs> in, in the, general sense, like the, you know, where mm-hmm. I was always concerned about where our content was going to live mm-hmm. basically. Um, and when I first joined, um, you know, the, the, the attitude on the, on the edit, on the sort of web production side from Bloomberg.com was that here's your box for data visualization. Yeah. We have an iframe for you. Yeah. And I said, no, <laughs> no, please, that's, that's not going to work. Um, and, and I wanted to really mm-hmm. be able to work with, integrate to, that, to integrate. Yeah. And, um, and that has been very much a moving target for reasons that, you know, I don't think I have sure. anything to do um, with me, but the, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. the media team has had, I and mean, Bloomer.com had, um, you know, 
one and a half redesigns already and is going through another mm-hmm. one since I've been there oh. in the last two and a half years. Yeah. Um, there's a new head of the media group. So it's just been a moving target and it's been hard to integrate. And actually, I did get involved um, and led the redesign for Bloomberg View, um, which is another kind of catalog site, which will become more of a catalog site of, of opinion content. Um, and there really have the opportunity to sort of find the most optimal ways of integrating data, mm-hmm. data visualization. So that's, that's a good reason why, you know, why I'm there now. I felt like I could really get my hands on, on the yeah. site itself. And Bloomberg View is mostly opinion. Is it opinion articles, like individual pieces mm-hmm. of, um, yeah, opinion pieces? Yes, yeah. And they still do. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's super interesting how to how to integrate that because data is supposed to be super objective and opinion is supposed to be like super subjective. And Which, I think that's, that's very, you know, on a superficial level. Um, yeah, and the marriage. I think it's is, very interesting to to bring that together. Right? Absolutely. I mean, it's. I think it's. Yeah. Uh, it's. I've been saying this. You know, it's kind of a winning combination. And actually, the um, we created a few data views on the visual data team. Um, Jeremy Diamond. Um, um, built them and been amazing interaction designer. Um, and we, we did them in collaboration with Vue. And I loved how those are the ones like the, the jobs report and how Americans die. And mm-hmm. um, they're basically, they're really simple kind of walkthroughs of mm-hmm. data um, with very voicey notes. It's, um, and it's. And they present an argument too. Mm-hmm. Like it's, yes. they build up a certain mm-hmm. I, argumentation structure yeah. based on data, right? And yes. that could totally work for an opinion piece as well. Exactly. And I love those things were supposed to be very specific to time series. Um, mm-hmm. I also like sort of solving these very specific problems. Um, and, mm-hmm. and the idea of, uh, I mean, there are a lot of metaphors we use in our speech about kind of um, going, you know, sort of drilling in, zooming out and getting the big picture. And mm-hmm. anyway, so that's, that's what those pieces were about. Cool. This this will be interesting. <laughs> so, do you have an article out yet with the view people you just started? So you just uh, yeah, we have. Um, together, right? I've been working. Um, I have a partner in crime there, David Harding, um, <laughs> and uh, who has more of a kind of technology and product background. Um, and we just presented a strategy for the next evolution of view, which I'm actually quite excited about and. Probably should not talk about yet, <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll just say that it was really looking. I was kind of upset <laughs> to to acknowledge that so much content, especially news and even opinion content, is really is so ephemeral. Um, mm-hmm. I thought opinion content opinion content has a slightly longer shelf life than news, but still, I mean, even if it's the most beautifully written mm-hmm. argument, uh, it's the shelf life is you know still under two weeks, basically. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so we're looking at, but there are things that opinions leave behind and that are, that last. And I, mm-hmm. um, Oh, you could even unfold like big debates and, you mm-hmm. know, shed light on all the pros and cons, you know, and make, yeah, yeah. make something really lasting. And, and many of the big issues are not going away in a week or two, but <laughs> will stick with us a bit longer, right? Yes, you hit on the keyword yeah. issues. Yes, yes, um, yes, exactly. Yeah. So you'll, you'll, oh, we'll, we'll have to nice. do an update sometime, and, I, and or you'll see some, <laughs> some of mm-hmm. that work probably in the next six months or so. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, looking forward. We're almost I know, the time with, just yeah. went, you, yeah. you yeah. promised this. Flies, I told you, right? It's like, I thought, how yeah. am I going to, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> it went so fast. So should we go quickly through the questions that some of our listeners asked? Yeah, at least. At sure. least, right? Yes. At least, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you want to start? Yeah, so the first one, I think, is Andy Kirk from Visualizing Data. Oh, Andy. Mm-hmm. He said, the, the Bloomberg visual identity is striking and consistently maintained. Does the back... Uh, no, what is that? The oh, does the background. black background ever become restrictive for your choices? <laughs> um, it's funny. We, the team has debated that. And again, um, I still have a very close relationship with all those guys, but um, <laughs> um, but not officially on the team anymore. Um the the but, black really came. True, from- so I just want to say that it's true that when you see a Bloomberg visualization, 
it's clear that it comes from Bloomberg. So it's well, very, the brand is very strong. Font and colors. That's yeah. fantastic. That's good. That was the idea. Um, and mm-hmm. the black really comes from the terminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. And then we, um, yeah, we just wanted to brand it. Chris Cannon is the sort of lead designer and uh, sort of keeper of the visual standards for the visual data team. And, um, and he was really the first hire after Hilla and I joined Bloomberg. And, and we, we kind of established it together and um, took the typeface from the... Um, the typeface actually came from the work that Pentagram did for the displays. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Um, which is a, a kind of cut of Avenir, and, uh, and which came from the identity of Bloomberg. The logo type. Um, anyway, so so that's that's what it's been. But it's 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 starting to change, and it's really needs to be integrated into the media group. And mm-hmm. as far as the question, it's hard. It actually is hard to work on the black. Um, it was. It started to drive me crazy. Um, <laughs> and um, I mean, there's just like there's a lot of subtlety. You know, it's nice to have all those grays to work with. You know, um, oh, yeah, when you're working sure. on a, a white background. A white. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But I like, I mean, you know, I guess it, it did, it served its purpose, which is to sort of, you know, maintain yeah, the brand. It's a strong statement for pro-digital. So it, it, yes, to me, yeah. black background always says, okay, this is not a paper. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, that also between the lines, I think that's, um, that's a big part of it. Yeah. That it's like, that's a purely digital product. This is not going to be printed. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So I'm just and, but I agree with you. Oh, I start so many projects on black background because I think like, ah, oh, I want to have these <laughs> colors. And then at some point I switch over again. And, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yes. It's hard to make it work. It is. Sure. It is. So yeah. Lisa, do you know by any chance what's the reason why the original Bloomberg terminals have a black background? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm black with no. amber text. I mean, I think. Uh, is there any reason, or or the first just, computer screen? Yeah. I mean, black background. because yeah. you know, like, they were, you know, yeah. in the '80s. I mean, it was it was like right. it's um, okay. it's just a legacy thing. Yeah. But uh, and I think people just got used to it. It's also a bit of a a it's it's a branding thing too, in some ways. I mean, it's a real there's a real cachet about having a Bloomberg terminal. I think in the um, you know, in the world of finance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have one? <laughs> well, does, I, does I, every employee get one? Oh yeah. I mean, the, we're, yeah. you know, we work on it all day. Yes. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I think I remember reading, uh, I think Stephen few, uh, many months ago published, uh, a blog post on whether there is any advantage from, from the perceptual point of view on having a black background over a white background. And uh, I think there's, I think he explains that there's no advantage whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But once again, I'm intrigued by the fact that there are so many things that we cannot explain by just looking at, at perception. Mm-hmm. But then there is a difference more on the emotional side or or other related mm-hmm. effects, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that we tend to disregard this this kind of uh, factors that actually, and when in fact they they do play a very very strong role. Absolutely. And, um, yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. that's 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 a very important thing to take in, take into account when designing visualizations in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so there was another question from Lynn Cherney. How do you pick the stories you cover? An amazing array, not all very financial. <laughs> yeah. Uh that was always the question. Um, again, when I started at Bloomberg and started the team, one of the big challenges and opportunities was how to connect with editorial, which is why I went there. Um, and so we, um, the, you know, the team had a lot of ideas, but we also sort of went around and, and you know, I, I was reporting to Norm Perlstein, who is kind of a legend in... in um, <laughs> um, in basically journalism, uh, and he ended up leaving, go back and going back to time. But um, uh, but we, so you know, we 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 got requests. Oh, I, I forgot to say that the team. This is kind of important. Whoops. Um, the team started as this product team, kind of interactive product team, but mm-hmm. then we brought in 
um, five graphic journalists. Uh, this was this was kind of material and important, um, <laughs> and we're running out of time <laughs> to run. But um, 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 we brought in five graphic journalists who had been working at Bloomberg and were you know really well trained and and those and the teams kind of worked side by side initially, and then they started really collaborating. Um, and I mean, it's really one team now, but the cultures, you know, because the graphic journalists really are journalists, um, and the data visualization team were basically like designers and developers and the world cup project was the first real collaboration between the teams. And, Mm -hmm. um, and that has been really amazing. So anyway, the, the team takes requests from the newsroom, but we also, the, the team was also sort of proposing projects basically. Um, big data products and mm-hmm. like the industry leaderboard was for um, a new franchise as they call it, which is kind of like, you know, Bloomberg's version of the fortune 500. It's the mm-hmm. um, it's 600 com- companies organized by industry. I hope that answers the question. So, but it was always, <laughs> I would say that it was never exactly solved. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there are requests for the newsroom, but they're very short cycle it's harder to get longer term requests. And that's what I wanted, actually. Um, I mean, you know, the World Cup was kind of an obvious one in the election. The team is working on something for the midterm election. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, the news team, they work on on a totally different cycle than than most of us who create larger scale data visualizations. Mm -hmm. So it would work best if then the data visualization people come up with interesting themes and and approach the editorials is that I think it's a combination yeah. of the two yeah. and um and there were a lot of experiments and it's still they're still kind of iterating on that and mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. doing the same for at Bloomberg View yeah nice that sounds all really good <laughs> I'm really uh, yeah I'm not sure. now I'm really curious what you will do at Bloomberg actually I'm, I'm very excited sort about it and I'll, I'll yeah. keep you posted but, on but that we'll see we'll see it happening uh, we'll just watch you, and um, I think we have to wrap it up. Yes, right yes. Now because um, we are like stealing too much of your time already. Oh, no, it's such a pleasure! I <laughs> could was, keep talking no, if I didn't so have to go. You could keep on. talking exactly. for for a few yeah. hours. The school pickup. Um. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll continue. Maybe once you know your first uh, yeah. new product out. Yeah, we can, we can continue. I would love that. So nice to meet we'll you, Enrico. Um, yeah. And so I, I have a question. Yes, Is it yes. possible to come visiting you at Bloomberg? I would love of to. Of course. Do that. Yeah. That yeah. would be fantastic. Okay, yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> yeah. And Moritz, I would love to see you when you come in December. We'll have to get together. I'll I'll let you know. I don't know exactly how it will play out, but there will be yeah. Okay. I'll let you know. Great. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thanks so much. Thank Lila. you so Thank much. You. This was such bye a pleasure. Bye. Now run, run to your meeting. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. 